0: This week we're speaking with Reno Collier, a very funny stand-up comedian who just so happens to lean to the right. He's got some amazing behind-the-scene tales to tell. You won't be surprised to learn that his political views are making his stand-up career that much harder. The biggest entertainment story this week is getting very little attention. The team behind the Gosnell film, they're bringing FBI lovebirds undercovers to a DC theater in a few weeks. The production stars Dean Cain and Christy Swanson, who are going to be reading texts sent between FBI agents Peter Strzok and Lisa Page. Those two not only conducted an affair via government phones, which is just absurd, they also shared their schemes against presidential candidate Donald Trump. It's got everything. Sex, romance, politics. Trump. What doesn't it have? Well, right now, it doesn't have a stage. The Mead Theater in D.C. was slated to rent its space to the production, but it canceled that contract just a few days ago, following some violent threats against the show. Free speech is under attack again. And guess what? Few of any voices are speaking up about the matter. Now, a couple of media outlets did cover this, Yahoo News, uh, Deadline.com briefly, a couple of conservative outlets, but not many conservative outlets, by the way, which surprises me, but It's just amazing what's going on. Now, the show itself has a pro-Trump edge because those texts aren't exactly flattering to those who were anti-Trump in the first place. But that doesn't really matter. Where are the brave actors and the theater companies rushing to defend a fellow artist? What about the, the theater in question? How about, hey, guys and gals, let's raise some money to buy security so the show should still go on? Well, they're either hiding or they're just plain silent but I'm not going to let that happen. Over the next few days, I'll be reaching out to as many outlets as I can, different theatrical groups, actors, whoever I can reach out to and say, hey, what do you think about this? Would you cancel a show if there was a direct threat against it? Isn't this an attack on free expression? Or in the case involved here, maybe the show shouldn't go on? What do you think? Well, I'm going to be compiling all those different reactions or maybe the lack of reactions, because I expect I'm going to get a lot of uh, no comments going on at hollywoodintoto.com. And of course, next week, we'll have the information on this particular podcast as well. It's amazing. I I suspect that the answers I am going to get are going to be absolutely depressing, but maybe the artists will prove me wrong and show that they really do stand up for free speech. Going to have to wait and see. Here's the hit tweet of the week. Ron Perlman's back, but you know what? This time he's not raging against President Trump for a change. He's throwing his weight, it seems, behind that Georgia boycott. He doesn't mention the state's new abortion regulations directly. He does share a tweet with a screenshot of a news article talking about how Hollywood is up in arms about the new legislation but that's not what the text of his tweet has to say. In it, he name-checks a conspiracy that really should earn him his own oversized tinfoil hat. Here we go. I have worked, ate, drank, and loved many great times in Georgia for decades, great place, fantastic people, but as long as the populace lays down to cheaters stealing elections, thus devolving the most fundamental of democratic principles, there must be a price. Hey, Stacey Abrams, I think we found your VP candidate. Don't touch that dial. You're listening to my daddy's podcast. My hit tip of the week is Gran Torino. Clint Eastwood caught heck a few weeks back for daring to make his main character in The Mule a realistically out-of-touch old codger. By modern standards, his Gran Torino character would be chased out of theaters for being a hater. Mind you, this film came out 11 years ago. That's not very long. That Grand Torino hater isn't what you think, though. Yes, Clint Eastwood plays Walt Kowalski, and he says some really ignorant things about his Asian neighbors. Just dumb. You could say it's racist for sure. No question. But when push comes to shove, and his neighbors are under attack from local thugs, guess who steps up? Well, you get three guesses, but as they say, the first two don't count. Now, for a moment, it looked like this would be Clint Eastwood's last screen appearance. He was in his 70s here, And he didn't seem really interested in being an actor again. He just wanted to direct films, which he's still doing. But since then, he's appeared in two different films, Trouble with the Curve and, of course, more recently, The Mule. But here, his minimalist style is just perfect. And we need more flawed characters like Walt on big screens and small screens, too. And isn't it great that Eastwood is still taking chances on really unlikable souls who demand our consideration all the same? you want to catch up with Gran Torino... It's a really good film. It debuts June 1st on Netflix. You're listening to the Hollywood in Toto podcast, the right take on entertainment. A while back, Reno Collier ditched teaching Jim for making strangers laugh. Smart move. He's toured with Larry the Cable Guy since then, and also on his own. And more recently, he's hooked up with a former Hitcast guest, Michael Loftus, for a right-leaning comedy live act. And that's where the problems began. Reno talks about his curious career start, how some of his old friends and colleagues have turned on him for purely political reasons, and so much more in this conversation. You can find out more about Reno at his website, renocollier.net, and of course, give him a follow on Twitter, at RenoCollier. I hope you enjoy my conversation with a very funny fellow, Reno Collier. Reno, forgive me for going into the time machine here, but I was really curious. I was reading about your first time on stage. It sounds like you were working at a comedy club, but not as a performer. And then you said, hey, there's an open mic night. Let me in. Uh, Was that sort of the pivotal moment? And what do you remember most about that particular night?
1: Yeah, I'll tell you how it happened. Um, So when I graduated from college... My mom and dad, uh, for a gift, spent like $400 for me to go to this comedy school that was in Atlanta, Uh right? And I wanted to be a comedian, and the schools are more for people that want to be funnier around the water cooler or whatever. So they had open mics. So I just got a job at the comedy club, and I would trade out uh, stage time for doing jobs. Like, I'd work the door, work the kitchen, bartend. Mm. I was doing like five jobs at one time. And there were a bunch of hot waitresses that worked there, and they didn't want to They didn't want to do anything. So, like, the girls' toilet would overflow, and they'd be like, you girls, get in there and clean it. And these chicks are like, I'm not cleaning that up. It's disgusting. And they're like, well, somebody's gone, too. And I'm like, I'll do it if you give me five minutes of stage time on Wednesday. So they're like, no, we're not sitting through that again. But eventually they break. <laughs> and they're like, go in there. So I'm in there mopping, trying to write, like, knock, knock, who's there? Me, you know. <laughs> um, but the first time I got up, so I did the school and the graduation from the school was to go up at the, uh, the comedy club. So I was already working there and I went to like two of the classes and people were like, you suck. You know, this isn't funny. And they weren't, they were terrible. And I'm like, well, you guys don't even know what comedy is. I'm hanging out with real comics, like Brian Regan's coming through and all these guys. And I'm like, this isn't comedy. So I bailed. Right. Right. So the the class and I did open mic. I just jumped in it, and did it before the class. You know, was over or whatever. So it's the night before the graduation, and I hadn't been going for like a month and a half. And my mom calls me and is like, "Honey, I'm surprising you. I'm flying into Atlanta to see your graduation tomorrow." And I'm like, "Oh god, uh, okay." And she's like, "I wasn't gonna tell you, but I need a ride from the airport." Blah blah. I'm like, "Okay, I got you, mom." So I get off the phone. I call the guy and I'm like, "Hey, man." Uh, you got to put me up on that graduation deal, and he's like, "No way, you haven't been coming to the classes." Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, "All right, cool. Then uh, I need my money back." And he's like, "All right, you're going seventh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Yes, I am," but I had I had kind of gotten dared because I was talking about doing it, and there was an open mic at the club, and I just kind of I'd always wanted. I loved Eddie Murphy when I was a kid. I'd sneak his you know tapes on my Walkman and. Um, I'd always wanted to do it. And so I just got up and did it and it's a rush. And once you do it and you catch that bug, you can't really do anything else.
0: Now I'm curious about this comedy club, which sounds like you're not going to be their spokesperson. Were they teaching kind of hacky stuff that really didn't speak to you? What, what was the disconnect there?
1: No, no. The comedy club was wonderful. Okay. It's the, it's the punchline in Atlanta. It's one of the greatest clubs in the country. This was outside of the club. Okay. Um where the guy ran the school and and it was it is what it is. You pay and then he teaches you how to write stuff and then your graduation is you get to perform on the punchline stage. Gotcha. So on like a Monday night, it's like an AA meeting. Like everybody has to clap and yay, you know. <laughs> and then you think you're funny after doing that. Then you get in front of a real crowd and realize that <laughs> was all set up. Yeah. But if your dream is to do it once, it's a great thing. You know, if if your dream is I just want to say that I did it, it's a bucket list thing, then those schools are great. If yeah. you want to be a comedian, you know, for a job and for a lifetime, I don't know. It it wasn't for me. Maybe it helps other people, but
0: yeah. Now when you, you can get there. when you get that buzz and you, you already had a passion for it, is it weird to transition to this is my other line of work? I know you did some as a gym teacher, and now I'm a comedian. Like is there do you have to get used to the odd hours? Is, is the lifestyle kind of – does it take a while to get used to or did that come to you fairly easily as well?
1: Well, I didn't teach very long and I was uh, – once I got the bug for it, like I was stupid. I I was teaching and then I was working at the punchline at night and then I got like three weeks booked on the road making like 150 bucks a week. And I thought, okay, now I'm a comedian. So I quit my teaching job and I literally lived out of my car for like three years. Wow. Where I just took every single gig I could get. I'd be in Lubbock, Texas on a Sunday and have to get to Myrtle Beach on Tuesday, you know, and I'm sleeping in rest areas. And if people think it's tough. It was the greatest time of my life. I had a hot pot in the back seat and my clothes <laughs> are hanging out. And there's beer cans falling out. You know what I mean? It was, and I was just a gypsy and freaking loved it loved every second of it
0: and imagine your craft was growing all that i mean when, when you're a young person you're learning on the fly it's your life it's your mission did you find your your act was evolving quickly at that point or was it what was that what was the artistic side of things
1: yeah man it, it evolves because you're thrown into when you have to work to have a place to sleep i mean i would open for like these guys who are right off deaf comedy Jam. And then the next week I'd be in a biker bar and then I'd be with, you know, some other country act. And then I'd be with, you 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 would, you would, I had to take everything. So I moved ahead. Nowadays, you make one stupid video on YouTube for that last three minutes and 5 million people watch it. and You're headlining and you don't have any material. Like back then you had to bust and get your chops or they wouldn't move you up. Mm -hmm. The, the work hard to get to the top part is kind of gone. Um and that's that's nobody's fault it's just technology and you know back then it was like well can he do a half an hour and kill well let's make him a feature we'll move him up you know can he can nobody follow him as a feature we got to move him up to headliner cuz no one can follow him. you know what i mean Yeah yeah now it's it's so tough to get people out you know if you can sell tickets there's soap opera guys showing up at comedy clubs in the afternoon <laughs> You know with you know chicks throwing their underwear or whatever I don't know I can't figure it out man I I thought that I had it figured out and uh, clearly I do not
0: <laughs> when you think about you mentioned before if you get viral if something happens you can kind of go get big overnight what's been what's the best and worst part of being a comedian now as opposed to when you first started because I know it sort of technology and the culture is changing
1: yeah and I mean I just sound like an old dog but. <laughs> You know, it, it it really, if it would have been like this when I started, I would have made adjustments or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But but I kind of, I didn't, I didn't have really super high goals for this, because I used to believe people's credits. You know, like when I was sitting in the back working the door, some guy, the MC said he'd been on The Tonight Show, and I'm like, oh my God, so you would get to do that, and then you're on The Tonight Show, not knowing that comics are making this stuff up, and it was <laughs> garbage. So I didn't. I, my goal i've i already did everything i wanted to do i mean i've hosted network shows i got to have little parts in movies and did a comedy central special and roast and i got to do everything that i set out to do and then you know you get kids and life moves a forward and you know your priorities change but uh, but now i just love making people laugh i mean that, that's that's what i want to do it's mm-hmm. not you know you have bills and stuff like that but I just really love stand up more than anything.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, it just it's it's something and it's funny cuz I hear people who are 10 times more successful than I could ever dream of being, Seinfeld, all he wants to do is stand up. I mean, that guy could do whatever he wants. He doesn't have to do anything. And you know, guys always want to go back and do it because there's nothing like it. There's no there's no rush like it. There's no, you know. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. It's a fun and the lifestyle. I mean, I boozed it up real good. I quit drinking a couple of years ago. I, I had to, um, but uh, but the, it's just fun, man.
0: What what do you think you is the know, most misunderstood part of your of being a comedian?
1: That it's glamorous. I um, mean, even TV shows and stuff are not glamorous. Filming, um, you know, they're really fun, man, and they treat you great, and you know, as far as that stuff, but. It's a grind. It's a lot of work. Um, I, I always I, and I I didn't make this up. I know I've heard it somewhere. For a second, I thought I did, and I was like, "That's way too smart for me to have come up <laughs> with." But but it, it, the phrase is is that comedians will work eighty eight hours a week to avoid working forty.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's right.
1: You know what I mean? Like uh-huh. like we'll drive twenty hours to do one Joe or whatever when you're you know when you're starting out, and it's like, but I'm not in a cubicle. You know, I'm not it's it's just a different mindset.
0: Now that you're an established act and you've had all the credits you mentioned and people know who you are, do you still have to kind of spread the word about a show, a tour, an appearance? Is that sort of part of what a modern comedian does with either Twitter or social media, YouTube? Is, is, is that just sort of part of what you have to do?
1: It is, and I suck at it. <laughs> it absolutely is. Um, I'm like, I don't know, man, I, I hate, feeling like I'm getting older, but like change. Like I, first of all, I don't want, I I'm doing it now, but it took me until last year to do it because you have to, you have to get it out there.
0: Mm.
1: Um, and like the shows with, with Michael and Brian, I mean, we can't get people where I, I mean, there's places that I've been able to just call and go on anytime I wanted. And we're doing shows for conservatives and man, There's a huge pushback. Like, nah, not that. Well, what are you? What are you pushing? Is there a TV show? No, I'm doing this show that we're putting on for conservative people. No, no, no. You know what I mean? Like, it's so weird, and the anger about it just it blows me away. I mean, and I have most of my friends are not conservative, and and I'm not, you know, far right wing. But I mean, I am conservative, and. I do believe in, you know, a lot of what conservatism stands for. So I don't know, man, it, it's always a grind. Who, and, and it's who getting are the people harder, are, and
0: harder. Sorry to jump, but who who are the people who are saying that to you? Is it like sort of the media people that would maybe do an interview with you to promote your gig or what's I was going to I wasn't sure who you were speaking to and they said they they were rejecting the message.
1: Some of it is friends that would blast something. Oh, okay. Um some of it is radio um I've been very lucky with with radio like um th- like this week I'm guest hosting on Bob and Tom who are that shows I don't know if you're familiar with them but they're just the greatest dudes in the world but we don't talk about politics on that uh-huh. um but it's it just feels like I don't want I don't want to throw anybody under the bus man because I'm still friends with them um but it, it's it's mainly radio shows hmm. Lo- local radio in markets. Yeah. Um so you know what? It's okay. And I, and I'm cool with that. And they have to they have a job to protect. So I don't I don't hold them like I'm mad at them. You know, they're like, "Dude, we'll lose 50% of our people to change the station." And and I get that. I mean, I get the environment that we're in right now. Um it just is everything's flipped upside down.
0: Yeah. But then you know, again, like, a- if you went on a tour with uh Mark Marin and Sarah Silverman and it was a politically motivated tour on the left. I don't think that, that you'd be getting that feedback, do you? Or not
1: at all. I'd be on anything I wanted to be on. Yeah. And you know, I spent twelve years touring with Larry the Cable Guy, and then I did a tour with me and Ingval Foxworthy and Cable Guy. And nobody talked about politics that much. I mean, there were hints and nods, and you know how everybody voted on that thing. <laughs> but but it it was a different time. Yeah. You know, I mean it was a It was a time where now it's just you're dismissed and you're stupid. And, you know, there's a lot of conservative people out there, and and I know them. They're in my family. They're my friends. They're good people. They want to have fun. This has almost become – and the only reason I I was so excited about doing these shows is it's not even about being – I am conservative, you know, but it's almost like I don't like people telling me I can't say what I want to say and how I feel. And I don't know when – like when I was a kid, it was the liberals that were like, you can say what you want, freedom of speech. You know, they're marching and hippies and yeah. And now it's like completely upside down. Now now you can't say that. They're all of a sudden word police. You know, it, yeah. it just – it makes me it, – it, so as a comedian – the fact that someone's telling me don't say that makes me instinctively like, shut up, dude. I'm saying it. You're not. I want to push it even further because you're telling me I can't do it. I went to military school for high school. I've been like this my whole life. And most comedians are. And I do feel like the pendulum's going to start swinging back because people are sick of this, man. It can't. You, you can't have it both ways. You can't be like, I can take, if as long as I agree with this group of people, I can go as far out as I want to. But if you don't agree with us, now you don't say anything. We had, when I was a kid, and I'm not sure how old, how old are you, Christian? Fifty. Okay, cool. So we're in the same. So remember when we were kids, you go to the mall, and it would be an older person who would be like, hey, kid, pull your pants up. Turn your hat around. Don't do that. Don't you Fix yourself. You look yeah. like a jackass. Now it's kids attacking old people. Take your hat off. Turn that off. Racist, bigot. Talking to old people like that, my grandfather would have knocked somebody out like there was and i want a bunch of these korean war vietnam veterans to get together and just beat the shit out of these kids i can't stand it man i'm so tired of feeling like respect is gone and i'm not gonna take up for people being disrespectful who are conservative either that's why we're doing these shows they're pg-13 we're really doing it so people who have to watch the same tired trump joke trump joke trump joke can go somewhere and hear other stuff. There is another side out there, you yeah. know. And and we have valid points. I mean, these people, you, you can't just get away with not understanding how a garbage disposal works, and no one says anything because ooh, she's, you know, she's way out there, and she she speaks for the young people. Everyone's worried about eighteen to thirty five. I don't care about them. I don't care about these kids. I don't care about their feelings. Everything is based on feelings. I'm sick of it. So we wanted to do this so that there would be a place for people who are conservative to be able to go and laugh and not be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. This is still America. You can laugh at what you want to laugh at. You can come see who you want to see. And just because somebody doesn't agree with you doesn't mean you get your way and you get to shut everybody up.
0: I recently uh, saw, maybe actually a couple of years ago, I saw Steve McGrew. Who's a former guest of this podcast, and he did a, a routine, and it wasn't political at all, and it was very, very funny. But he's a conservative fellow, and he kind of shares that on social media. Do you find that your act is mostly apolitical now, but just maybe you dip your toe in, or are you getting more right of center in your material as well?
1: Well, my material's always been right of center. Okay. Um, it, but it's not. I'm not out there writing jokes about each specific politician. You know, and and have like 10 Bernie Sanders jokes and I don't do that. Mm -hmm. I talk about my real life and you can tell from my real life where I stand. Gotcha. Um, I'm a Christian. Uh, I talk about that, but not in a youth pastor way. (laughs) I mean, I you know, it's not you know what I mean? Like it it gets kind of edgy and I'm honest about how I feel about things. Um, But you can like like I got done with a show in Chattanooga and this lady's like you were my favorite comedian, even though you're Trumpy. And I was like, "What?" And she's like, "Even though you're trumpy, you're my favorite comedian, and I wasn't trying to do anything political
0: mm-hmm.
1: um but you can just tell from the way I live my life and my views on things where I stand, yeah, does that make sense? Yeah. as opposed to you know coming out and talking about every senator and you know this is right and this is wrong I, I'm not doing it in a manufactured way you can just tell and I, and I've always been that way like mm-hmm. you could tell from and you know through the different stages of my act used to be a ton about drinking and church and going to you know and teaching school and drinking and everything was drinking drinking cuz that's what I was doing all the time um and now you know I have kids and I have an ex-wife and I have you know all these things that other people go through and I just vent my frustrations gotcha. through it, but but you can i mean you're going to when you're going to come to the show and be like, "I know who that dude voted for <laughs> you, <laughs> you know, know recently,
0: I mean? uh, Ricky Gervais has been one of this you know he's certainly left of center, but he's been very vocal toward free speech. Say what you want, joke what you want. I think John Cleese is there too, definitely left of center but a very strong- opon- uh, proponent of free speech. Do you find that you meet other comedians who may be liberal? And they want to support what you do just on a free speech, kind of platform. But maybe they, they're a little afraid of the blowback if they do that.
1: Yes, I do find, and I'm very, this is going to sound so stupid, but I'm very proud to be a comedian right now. Nick DiPaolo came out with a special and Bill Burr shared it. It was free on YouTube and hilarious and raw. And I think he's hysterical. I did a roast with him. I love that guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he was one of the headliners back at the punchline when I used to work the door. But Bill Burr shared it on Twitter. Brian Regan shared it on Twitter.
0: And Jim Jim Gaffigan, too.
1: Yeah, Jim Gaffigan, too. So, you know, these are guys who are standing up for free speech. And it made me proud to be a comedian. I'm like, you're damn right. That's what I'm talking about. (laughs) You know, Um, but some are have they've molded themselves into that they are so far left it's almost like the cool kids are all in the you know left side and they're like poking at the other kids and that makes me want to be one of the other kids like <laughs> i want to punch them in the face like you know you're not going to pick on me they're like bullies if you put anything and they haven't done it to me but if you put anything up you know you see how people get savagely attacked on twitter
0: yeah i guess
1: that's if- the one good thing about not caring about twitter <laughs>
0: If you live long enough, you become Judd Nelson from The Breakfast Club. So maybe that's a maybe that's a good place to be. That's right. Uh, I was. That's right. I was kind of curious. Uh, you've done a lot of work with the Blue Collar Comedy Tour over the years. Is there a talk of maybe kind of kind of bringing that back? I don't even know what the same lineup, or is is that something that maybe is in the past for now? What are your thoughts on the blue collar kind of comedy?
1: With, with uh, well, I wasn't. I was. I did Blue Collar Next Generation. Okay. And then I opened for Cable Guy for like ten years, and then I did a tour. It was me. I was opening, and then it was Ingval, Foxworthy, and Cable Guy, right? And then at the end, we'd all go up, and I'd ask them questions and goof off and stuff like that. <laughs> um, I don't know if they would ever all get back together. Um, you know, that's that wouldn't be my. They they were. I mean, I was opening for those guys, so that wouldn't be my place to. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I. Um, I think it'd be fantastic if they did. Um, but I, I haven't heard anything about that, and I honestly don't know, man. I mean, those guys do their own things, and cable guy wants to golf more than anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? That was the worst thing I ever did was get him into golf. <laughs> I did. He was like, he's like, that's a sissy sport. I'm not playing. I put him in the baseball game, and then huh. I got him playing a couple times, and he was like a junkie. Then he was like, we're playing 36 holes, and I'm like, dude, we have two <laughs> shows tonight. It don't matter. We're going back out. And now that's all. That's all he wants to do. Gotcha. Is can, golf and smoke cigars.
0: <laughs> we can blame you for taking him off the road. One last question. Yeah. When you think about the the, the comedy that you approach, um, I'm not a comedian, but I'm thinking there's so much material out there for someone who is open to it. Uh, the AOCs of the world, sort of the Democrats, do some silly things. Do you find it's easier to write material now than it was maybe 10 years ago just because so much of that is not being tapped?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, some of the ideas, the economy's doing well, right? And who knows how long that'll last, but right now it's doing fantastically. Unemployment's down, all this stuff's going on. So they don't have anything to talk about. So their idea, like 16-year-olds should vote. (laughs) How how can you vote when you can still be grounded? (laughs) You know what I mean? Who are you voting for, son? Bernie Sanders. Not today, you're not. Get your ass back in your, you, you can come out in December, moron. And you're not taking my car either. It's so stupid. Like it just. It. I can't. I can't watch it, and not think. It, the great thing about it is, I know I'm not gonna. If I write jokes about it, I know nobody else is doing them. so it's like i don't have to worry about being ahead of the curve that's why i talk about my my own experiences so much because when it's my real life and it's my kids and it's my kids school and it's me being a dad or it's me and whatever going through ex-wife stuff and that's my life so i know nobody's gonna can steal it and it and it's easier to remember too um (laughs) when it actually happened but when i watch the news and i'm just like how how is late night how do these guys look at themselves in the mirror and leave those jokes out there um, I'm- knowing that they could do them but it, it's almost like they got everyone together in one room and they're like all right look everyone go out and tell the exact same jokes over and over and over again we can't take this anymore you know donald trump Used to be the toast of the town. I mean, he had the number one TV show, people were friends. There's pictures of him with everybody, <laughs> everybody, and they turned on him like rabid dogs.
0: Well, I, I and, think at the Colbert Show that they have a, a mantra before they go into the writing room. They say, "Cow farts aren't funny. Cow farts aren't funny." Yeah, just to train themselves, they can't tell these the jokes that everyone wants to tell.
1: Well, they <laughs> think that they think that it's it, that it's dumbing them down. Like, there's this pretentious elitist attitude of, well, I can say whatever I want to say as long as I go that way. I mean, they had pictures of cutting his head off. I mean, that's borderline illegal, you know, and, and, and that's OK. But if you say, I like Trump, that's all you have to say. God, kill him. You know, <laughs> it just it's so crazy. And, and there's no – you can go as far left as you want, but if you cross the middle line, they want to destroy you.
0: I, I wish you were exaggerating, but I, I hear so many stories exactly what you're saying. And uh, it's, it's a scary time, but I'm, I'm glad you're, you're out hitting the road and doing your thing. Uh, Reno, thanks for joining the HitCast. You can catch Reno on the road right now with a Loftus Party Live show, along with, of course, Michael Loftus and Brian Hainer. And, of course, don't forget to pick up Reno's latest comedy album, Monkey. All the best, Reno, and thanks for making everyone from the left to the right laugh.
1: Christian, thank you so much for having me. I thoroughly enjoyed this.
0: Bye. Oh, thanks so much. Well, thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check out HollywoodandToto.com for both the show notes and, of course, the latest entertainment news. Please follow me at Twitter, at HollywoodandToto. And we'd love it if you leave a podcast review over at iTunes. See you next week. Ugh, I have to do laundry when I get home